Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here we go. All right, man. Shawnee Cohen is my guest. He's the director of Rat Park. That just I didn't think it was out yet, Shawnee, but I saw it today on Crave, so it must be just newly out, is it? Yeah, it's been out about a week. Um, okay. I think this is the second weekend, yeah. Okay, great. So just just for the, the listeners or people watching, tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, and how we got to this place of Rat Park, the movie you just put out. Yeah, my name is Shawnee Cohen. I am a film director. I kind of specialize lately in documentaries. I got my start in kind of animation. But um, yeah, over the last, I think, 10 years or so, I've been kind of focusing on a lot of documentary work that has to do with um, addiction and not all addiction that has to do with drugs, but addiction in general. So um, one of the first films I did about 10 years ago was about my family who happened on a strip club in Guelph and I just kind of showed up there and decided to film them. Um, Didn't have too much of a relationship prior to filming them, which was interesting. And what I noticed was my parents were struggling with a lot of eating disorder type stuff. My mother was anorexic. My father was like grossly overweight. And I found this really interesting that they were struggling with body issues while working in a strip club. Um, since that film came out, I've found that a lot of the work that I do um, now that I work for Vice has a lot to do with addiction and drug use. So um, I would say that five or six years ago, I was one of the first filmmakers in the world to do a feature about fentanyl. Um, and I kind of learned a lot from that experience. And Rat Park is kind of the last in a line of documentaries that really um, looks at addiction more from like a policy angle and what governments are doing and tries to get deep into like the underlying layers of the drug war. And I really wanted to make a film that um, was kind of bigger and bolder than the addiction stuff I've done in the past. All right. So you're obviously an artist and attracted to. Uh, maybe social issues more than, you know, the conservative right-leaning brain. Uh, what was your underlying commitment here? What, what, what did you, did you have a goal in mind when you set out to do this project? And if so, what, what was it that you wanted to try and uh, change or affect? I think for me, I don't really go into projects with this idea that I, you know, need to change the world or come up with a concept that um, is big and bold, some political statement. It really started with this curiosity and, and I kind of wanted to go to the worst place in the world for drug use and the drug war in the best place. And through all the research I've done, it kind of appeared that, you know, there was quite a, quite a contrast between Portugal and, and Manila. And while hanging out in these places and filming, I realized that um, the environment, how people live and how the government treats users and stigma drug users um, has so much to do with, you know, how, we look at the drug war and look at the problems with addiction and, you know, slowly after filming, um, you know, this idea of rat park came into play and I learned a lot from Bruce Alexander, this Canadian scientist or psychologist who basically figured out that if you put, you know, rats in a cage and they have nothing to do and they're isolated and all they have to do is water or heroin, they'll gravitate towards the heroin. And he kind of wanted to turn this idea on its head because in the 70s, everyone thought, oh, you do drugs, drugs must be the cause um, for everything. And he figured, you know, that's not really true. I, I want to kind of disprove this. So he called, he made something called Rat Park. So he makes this giant place for rats to live in. They have treats, they can have sex, they can raise each other's young ones. And 
and really he just made them not isolated and they were able to kind of run around and he did the same thing heroin and water and it was quite a sophisticated experiment effort's time and he took like an obscene amount of data and after a while he realized that the rats in um rat park that weren't isolated didn't gravitate as much to the heroin and what he learned from this whole process was that you can't understand addiction and unless you understand the environment you're in. And that really made a lot of sense since I was like kind of in Manila, the worst place in the world for drugs, and, and Portugal, the best place, because I realized that set and setting and the environment had so much to do with, um, you know, why people use drugs, the opiate crisis, um, people dying in the street because they use drugs. So it, it, that experiment made sense, and I kind of tied it all together and made this film called Rat Park. Yeah, so do you think that the addiction it sounds like you feel like it's based in hopelessness? I wouldn't say it's based in hopelessness. There's a lot of misconceptions about addiction I learned. You know, we did a lot of research and you find out little statistics like, you know, only 10% of people who actually use drugs or abuse drugs um, compared to 90% who don't. So yeah, um, just let but, me stop you there, Shani. That's a great yeah. point, and that's a that's a fact, and if you can consider, I, I mean, I didn't research this, yeah. I've never looked it up, but that's something that yeah. jumped out at me, and I and what I heard, and maybe I heard it incorrectly, is that 10% of users are addicts. Like, the, yeah. and the rest, the 90% yeah. of uh, users are, you know, for pleasure, and they're not addicted, and it doesn't ruin their lives. I, I just found that right. amazing. I mean, it sounds like it. it's probably right. I mean, the the extremes are usually of the lowest percentage, but uh, yeah, that that really jumped out at me as well. Yeah, it's actually me too. Actually, when I was researching, that's actually a UN statistic, and I do a ton of research. So okay. it's not that the ninety percent um, use it recreationally, but ninety percent of people who use drugs um, wouldn't fall into what you, I guess, classify as an addict or someone who has a problem. Okay, but here's the issue. Um, the nine or ten percent who do use, who have problems, um, like almost every government in the world, base every drug policy and and focuses a drug war on that ten percent. Um, and it gets complicated. And this is what's interesting about the documentary and the research. Drug policy is not sexy. Like when you watch Intervention in a lot of these shows, it just kind of shows users and people kind of form these opinions about you know people using drugs and and that's that. But doing Rat Park, I realized there's like a lot of like interesting information that may not be as interesting for the normal person who doesn't know anything about addiction, but drug policy um, is super interesting. What does that mean? So if you consider that 10% um, and we make these drug laws for that 10% and you look at all these people dying of opiate overdoses, what's really interesting is a lot of the people who are dying aren't necessarily like abusing the drug. The problem is because opiates and a lot of these drugs on the street aren't regulated and they have to go to the street to get these drugs, um, they're doing fentanyl and they're dying. And they're, these aren't necessarily people who are like classically addicted. So you learn a lot about drug supply and why drugs are illegal and not illegal. And that's what I found really, really interesting. Shawnee Cohen is the director of Rat Park. What else surprised you about it? Well, you know, uh, Shawnee, what's something else that jumped out at me? Uh, oh, I think I took his name down. It was one of the, or, well, he's featured throughout the movie. Uh, maybe it was the addict in uh, Manila. You're never addicted yeah. to one drug. You're addicted to altered states. I found, like, yeah, wow. I, I, like, we know that, but it just sounded so profound coming from, a, like, a yeah. regular daily user. Yeah, so that guy was in Portugal, and what was interesting oh. about Tiago was, yeah, yeah, so he's so okay. this is a guy who's been using crack and heroin every day, 
and he he has problems. I'm not going to say that his life is perfect, but um, he just kind of wants to be left alone to be an artist, work in the studio. <laughs> he's a very celebrated pottery artist in the country, and, and he's well-known for using drugs and doing his thing. But it was interesting because when I filmed him, you know, there was quite a nuance between someone who small nuance between someone who would like drink wine in their studio and work on pottery or right mm. and someone that was using crack and i mean they're completely different drugs and i'm not comparing them but it got me on this idea that you know let's look at how many people will die from alcohol related deaths and it far outweighs um <laughs> like opiates and all other drugs which i found really interesting but mm. um because he's using drugs like he's literally considered a user and he has problems and people kind of hate him but you know I think the idea that if we compare in that same context to alcohol, um, you kind of learn a lot between why one is legal, the history of why one became legal, and the other one didn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, you touched on Bruce Alexander. I'd like you to expand on him a little bit more, but specifically this idea of an alternative uh, reinforcer, an attractive alternative to, let's say, crack. And I I love uh, Diego's... Uh, you know, his how he said, oh, I started when I was, uh, I don't know, 16 or something like that. And it was yeah. hash. And then 17 was LSD. And then I snorted some coke. And then I did some meth. And then I smoked some crack. And then he said, and right. everything changed since I smoked the crack. It sounded like, yeah. you know, you've got drugs. And he even said, you have to learn to be a heroin addict. But yeah. again, just going back to this uh, this idea of an an attractive alternative, or how Bruce Alexander I think called it, an alternative reinforcer. And in this case, yeah. they used money or crack. And most reasonable people, according to your movie, says that most of the time, a reasonable people choose the money. It's a, that surprised yeah, me as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's an interesting idea. And so Carl Hart is, I think, one of the head psychologist at Columbia University and he was really also obsessed with or and really interested in, in the rat experiments and so he did his own experiment where he actually gave someone the option to do crack cocaine or take money and he found that after you know long enough if the money is high enough people will choose to take the money over crack or cocaine or whatever drug and, and what that kind of taught him and the kids at psycho and, and at Columbia was that um, when it comes to druggies people have a tendency to act rationally. What does that mean? Like a lot of this theory in the 60s and 70s, what you take heroin, you take crack, you do a drug, you kind of turn it into this demon, and it's like all these problems come about and the drug kind of changes you mentally and you're just a zombie. Um, believe it or not, that was kind of the school of thought even psychologically in the 60s and 70s. And you're seeing this science now where, you know what, it, that's not actually the case people who use drugs and we've all used drugs you can actually act rationally you know when it comes to a being on drugs and choosing to use drugs so this idea that anyone who takes a drug you know is going to become immediately addicted um is crazy and i I think you're beginning to see science that really kind of disproves that Mm -hmm. there's another great person i was researching while we're doing this and um Harari, and he wrote a book called Chasing the Scream, and he also mentions that. Like, you know, there's a reason why if you break your ankle or your leg and you go to the hospital and they give you morphine, and you're on morphine for a week while you're in the hospital and you leave the hospital, you're not going to continue using morphine because you act rationally. You know, listen, like, I'm not going to, I don't want to continue using morphine no matter how it makes me feel because I want to continue on with my life. That wasn't always the thought process. In the past, people thought, all right, you're using morphine, they're instantly addicted, it's a problem. So, um, that's basically what that experiment kind of talked about. 
And how do you how do you stop them from just using the money to go get more crack and you know type of, like what's the you know the um, like how do you stop that from influencing the decision on what they do? I would say you know this is where I've kind of come full circle. I mean, for me, I guess after making these films, I've realized that people use drugs. There's no way Tiago will ever stop using drugs. You can put him whatever AA meeting, whatever rehab, he'll never stop. Um, so the only thing you can do is really manage the problem. And I think governments like Portugal are making that kind of, I guess, um, concession, this understanding that, you know what, we're not going to win the drug war. So let's manage it. So what does that mean? Mm. We're going to actually give people access to methadone. If they do get cleaner, they need, they want help, then we'll help them find a job. And for lack of a better word, we'll just stop treating them like shit. And it was really interesting what happened. They basically took, you know, all drug use and, and, and selling drugs out of the hands of the police and put it completely in the hands of the medical system. And it has its problems. It's not like the ideal system. It'll, it gets a lot of criticism. But what I can say, which is really interesting about Portugal, and, a lot, and you can't dispute this, they were able to um, reduce overdose deaths by 80 percent wow. and that's like that's a scientific fact and you can talk to anyone who disagrees with legalizing or decriminalization mm-hmm. you can't dispute that fact and an interesting you know idea that comes about people ask well is it going to continue to be a thing in, in portugal is it going to continue to work do, do other governments want to do this if you ask anyone in portugal at least that i met there's no conversation about going back to the old way everyone kind of agrees this is you know, best for society. The other interesting thing that came about when they decriminalized is everyone thought more people are going to use drugs. Um, mm-hmm. That didn't happen, actually. It's really marginal. It's like maybe within a percentage point of two, maybe statistically I saw that, but for the most part, there's no data to support that when they decrimmed, um, more people started using drugs and it became this like drug-free holiday place. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. What actually happened was stigma became a lot better what does that mean if you have a problem you can go to your doctor now and say well like i have an alcohol problem i have a drug problem can you help me you know it's tough in canada north america to do that if you have a cocaine problem it's a big deal to tell your family and go to a doctor and say listen dude i have a cocaine problem help me it's a lot easier if you're an alcoholic yeah because it's out in the open and it's socially accepted and it's much easier to say you know i'm probably drinking too much because and cocaine's not all that much a social drug that is something that you will uh kind of keep to yourself and just you know go down to the basement and spend days there and not and nobody would be the wiser type of thing for sure and i guess that was my favorite part about places like portugal that decrim because they help reduce stigma and they help the social aspect of it mm-hmm. so when people feel they have a problem you can talk openly about it you can walk into a doctor's office or um, a harm reduction clinic on the street and say man you got to help me or you know what i'm not ready to quit do you have any clean needles you can give me and they help you and they do that and the other thing that happened was they completely eradicated hiv as far as i can tell so for the most part you know Here's what this all means. They decided not to fight the drug war. They just thought, just manage it. And it was a lot more successful than yeah. than other places in the world, like Manila, where I went to, where, Jesus, you could just be walking on the street and you put on a list for using drugs and, you know, you're shot in the head because Duterte, this crazy maniac leader, decided that that's the way he wants to solve the problem. Wow. And what type of numbers? I saw a funeral home director say that, you know, his business has gone through the roof. I think he said something like a 1,000 since 2016. But then I heard another uh, 
figure yeah. out like thirty thousand. Is that related to murders since yeah, the yeah. new so, regime came in? So a thousand, a thousand was just in his funeral parlor. Wow. You consider, yeah, there's a like a ton of funeral parlors like his. So there was an excellent sixty minute segment just this weekend, and it was um, talking about the drug war and the problem that journalists are having while they're telling the story. So as far as we can tell, the numbers are hard to, um, you know find out exactly but Rappler is one of the most important news organizations in Manila and they're saying it's between 26 and 6,000 extrajudicial killings um, which is pretty crazy I mean that's already you know stepping in line with a genocide genocidal yeah yeah which is which is nuts so um, but it was nice to see that the story is still kind of being told around the world and even on 60 Minutes. Mm. What I liked about the 60 Minutes story was, you know, what happens to filmmakers and journalists who go down there and, and tell the story. We had an issue too. We were filming someone who was just executed on the street and the police started filming us and it was freaking me out a little wow. bit. So, um, yeah, it's not a not a safe place to tell that story. Mm. I really, I get that. And uh, tell us a little bit about Vincent Goh. What he did, what a, he's just featured so well in this film. He he's the photographer, the right? Yeah, and, yeah, and sure. he's so, in Manila. He's a Filipino. Filipino photographer, yeah. photojournalist. He's and his, sitting uh, here, seeing him joking around with his father on the couch there. I love it. He's busting his yeah. hump about ah ha ha. He likes Trump. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was so. No, cute. it's interesting. Yeah, so it's you know, I mean, what's really interesting about Vincent is like, you know, he this is the person who basically goes to these places where people are shot and he documents it and he tries to get you know justice by having this stuff publicized and all over the world and he's worked with publications across the world but he's still pretty much in the minority what freaked me out the most about being in manila was how popular the dirty and the drug policy is it's widely popular and that doesn't get talked about everyone just says you know what this dirty guy is killing people he's kind of this maniacal leader but his popularity is insane and his drug policy is insane, so um, yeah. insanely popular. So you know that's what I found super interesting. You know he's just being perpetuated, and 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 by the general public who actually think what he's doing is, is very positive. So I was surprised to see people like Vincent who are witnessing this, and you see this, these drug cleans in the newspaper every day. Um, the city of Manila and largely the country of the Philippines like very much supports what's going on. Cool. Uh, what do you say to the people that kind of come from the school of thought like I do, that you're always going to have poor, you're always going to have mass murderers, you're going to, always going to have a certain population of minority, a certain population right. of the – and I love the idea of management. And you're always right. going to have your addicts. That, and and, and right. you talked about uh, Tiago. It, it sounds to me like he's happy. He's doing his little pottery and his yeah. art. He, he doesn't – it doesn't sound like he's all. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to kick this thing. Tomorrow I'm getting off right. this. He's like, you know what? Leave me in. A, leave me alone. If I want to put yeah. something in my body, that's my choice. So, what do you say to the people that say, you know what? You're, yeah, I mean, you can manage it, but you're never going to cure the problem of addiction. It's just it goes inherently with the with the idea that we we want to change. I mean, we've been chewing leaves and fermenting yeah. uh, fruit and stuff to change our state since. The beginning of time. So, you know, that's not going anywhere yeah. anytime soon. No, it's interesting. I actually agree with you. I have a bit of a libertarian approach to, to that. Like, I'm, for me, you know, we've been using drugs since the dawn of time. Mm. You know, I, I think, I, I don't know what the statistic is. I would imagine about 20% of the population uses drugs sometimes at some point in their life, mm. experimented with drugs. So, for me, you know, the idea that, you know, we're going to be this kind of 
Puritan society and we shouldn't be using drugs and like the mess from like Nancy Reagan just say no. I think it's crazy because I actually feel like as human beings, um, we do stuff that's bad for us. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I feel like, you know, drugs are a part of life. Drinking is a part of life. Of course you can abuse these things, but, sure. <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, for the most part, the idea that you're going to eradicate substances is just crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, um, I think there needs to be more acceptance um, about the idea that we all use drugs. We smoke cannabis, occasionally we do coke, people drop ecstasy, people do drugs. Mm. And It's funny how and, we put alcohol in a different category. We talk about alcohol yeah. and drugs. We forget that, you know, alcohol is a drug. Coffee's a drug, for crying right. out loud. <laughs> Yeah, no, caffeine is actually a drug. There's yeah, tons of substances. Yeah. I mean, obviously, ones are worse for you than others. I mean, you mm-hmm. can make the argument that alcohol is actually the worst one when you think about for it. Sure it's it just is, socially yeah. acceptable. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting if I go on a little rant here about yeah, the history of alcohol. <laughs> so, so you in alcohol, you had the Prohibition era, and then all of a sudden, you know, alcohol becomes legal again. So that's like late 30s, early 40s. You had people like Harry Anslinger and a lot of law enforcement agents who, when Prohibition ended, um, had nothing to do. So mm-hmm. really, they had to set their sights on something else. So they started going after drugs, um, marijuana and cocaine and heroin. So one of the first things that Harry Anslinger did, who, I mean, you can make the argument that he was the fundamental person who helped start the idea of the DEA and, and the drug, like, you know, these drug police that kind of, you know, went out to fight the drug war that we know today, but he actually ended up doing some crazy racist things by going after jazz singers in New York. Yeah, and he was the king of propaganda. Even the word marijuana, yeah, I think, came from Ainslinger, like, didn't he, it? But it's funny. I'm glad you know that because he was actually a master of propaganda. Mm-hmm. And he started going after Mexicans, and he actually, I, I believe he turned the term marijuana. Yeah. Um, cocaine and heroin was a thing from, you know, that he predominantly thought a lot of black musicians were using which is completely racist and yeah. you have the whole Billie Holiday story and and like drove her to insanity and arrests and anyway so if you look at the evolution of alcohol and the evolution of you know the drug war um, yeah I mean the drug war for me started in like these really crazy racist ideals and, they just, and it just didn't end and you just kind of you know went into the next century where people still believe all these drugs and substances you know, unlike alcohol, are completely different. And really, you know, the chemical difference between something like Adderall and meth are, like, very, very similar. So um, I just kind of feel the more I've done research and the more that I understand um, drug culture and, and drug life, to get mad at people for using substances and kind of ban it is was, was completely impossible. What surprised you? Did, what I mean, we talked about a couple of things that popped up for both right. of us, you know, as I was watching, as you were creating a movie. What, what other surprises came up for you? And, and I should uh, we should say the idea was to go to the safest and most dangerous parts of the world to right. see the difference in how addicts, you, you know, were treated sure. and how, how they uh, dealt with policy in those countries. I guess the thing that surprised me the most was, um, like, I knew what harm reduction was and and I learned a lot more about what that means, not just for drugs, but what this idea of living with 
you know, your so-called demons or drug use or addictions and being able to manage it and really means what that means. So like harm reduction is this idea that you meet people where they're at. Um, and yes, it means things like safe injection sites and <laughs> safe needle programs and, and like methadone. But you realize that harm reduction plays a role in everyone's life every day. Mm-hmm. A seatbelt, for instance, is harm reduction. You know, sure. if you're driving on the highway, you want to put on a seat. You don't, you know, you hope you don't have to use it, but you know, you know, sometimes you're going to drive fast. I feel safer with it. When you're in McDonald's and you're picking a Big Mac instead of a salad, you're doing that because you see the calories that are now mandatory to be printed underneath the actual menu item. No offense to and, McDonald's, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no offense, but I, but I actually, but I like that principle, this idea that we, for lack of a better word, choose to live with some sin. We are never going to get rid of that. So let's just try to manage it. Maybe mm. I'll only have one Big Mac. But if I have access to that information, right. if I'm allowed to know the details of what's in some of this food, what is bad, what is wrong with cigarettes, you know, how much fat is in a hamburger? I, I like that information because mm-hmm. now, you know, I know that I'm not a perfect human being. I'm going to live with all these problems, but I can manage how much of a shit I can be in life, you know? And I, and I feel like that's what I learned. If you start to understand and do more research in harm reduction, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think when you take that principle and you apply it to drug use, um, it really, really helps manage the problem. So isn't that the argument for legalization? Because now nowadays, you know, I, I, I talked to a guy that's struggling with cocaine the right. other day. He's actually in my yeah. men's group, and, and it's a daily thing for him. And right. I said, bro, it's like it's not I, – I, I hear you. I hear you talking. But it's right. not cocaine. It's meth. It's meth. Right. There is no cocaine left in today's coke in North right. America. So is that the idea of legalization? So, listen, you want to get heroin, you don't have to worry about the Chinese fentanyl. You, or, yeah. or you want to get cocaine or whatever, you don't have to worry about the, the cheap filler drugs that they're putting in it. But nowadays, right. I mean, with cannabis, you, you know what you get. With alcohol, you pretty much know what you get. But right. now those two are legalized, and the, the supply is controlled. And you'd think, you know, if you're going to a regulated source— uh, not only is the source safer, but if you if you're tired of it, you can throw your hands up and say, "Okay, I'm done." Where's the Where's the copy of the of yeah. how I get off this substance? It's really the million dollar question, and I don't know that anyone's really figured it out. It's this idea of you know how do you kind of legalize it, crim harder drugs. Um, I've just come to learn that it's a matter of choice. There's not one system that's going to work for everyone, and and there's going to have to be sacrifices. What does that mean? Like, so Portugal, for instance, made a decision. Like, they arguably had a, a terrible opiate problem in the '90s from Afghan heroin coming in, and they made a decision. And they didn't know what would happen if more people would use or not use if they decrim. But they decided to do it for one reason only: they wanted to reduce opiate deaths. And if you look at Canada and how many people in North America are dying from, you know, doing fentanyl. Um, there's doctors who will say it maybe makes sense to give people who use drugs that 10% access to prescription fentanyl. And the reason you would do that is so that they don't go to the street and buy the shitty stuff. And you're beginning to see this. There's a pilot program I was reading in the Globe and Mail talking about this. 
about a week ago. There's like a couple doctors in Vancouver who are beginning to prescribe um, fentanyl patches to hardcore users who need it. It's only eight to 10 people, but you know, this is legitimate doctors taking this idea, um, you know, into society. And it's hard for people to wrap their head around, but it all comes down to this one idea. Do we want people to stop dying? Um, do we accept all the other sacrifices that may come about if we decide to legalize, but at the end of the day, and make a decision to like not have people die. Let's start there and then kind of figure out a plan after we've made that decision. And I really feel like eventually in our lifetime, we're going to see some type of legalization or decriminalization with opiates and harder drugs. It's just a matter of time. We just have to figure out how to make it safe for everybody and how to make sure you know it's prescribed properly it's not abused um but if you think about what's happening now it seems to me like that makes the most sense there's a lot of people who completely disagree with me but after doing all these drug docs and going all over the world and watching what was going on um i kind of feel like that to me makes the most sense mm. uh did you know that rats meditate before this movie yeah, uh, <laughs> you didn't know that. Rats do a lot of interesting things. They meditate. They they raise each other. Like children. rats meditate. Yeah. What are you kidding? Come yeah. on. Yeah. Oh. You know what was really interesting that I learned about rats, and, and I this kind of was amazing. I haven't told many people this, but um, there was a lot of rats who actually did heroin. Um, they actually in in Rat Park. They actually did heroin, but they didn't get as addicted to it as it, the rats in isolation. And oh. what I found interesting about that was that. Um, animals like rats have the propensity to use drugs recreationally. Um, I found that really interesting. And not a lot of people talk about that part of the experiment, but that's kind of what I found to be, uh, to be super interesting about that whole experiment. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really interesting about rat park is even the rats that were high on heroin in within the park, they weren't shunned. There was no stigma. It wasn't like one rat would look at the other and like, you're high, I'm not talking to you. Um, which is also like a little lesson we can learn, you know? It's a yeah. society where they didn't care about people who are, or other rats who were using drugs. Yeah, what is it about humans that, you know, I remember when we were back in high school, it was like a, you, yeah. you drop mushrooms. Well, you couldn't hang around with anybody that wasn't on mushrooms. You're like, no, you're not yeah. on our level. And you know what it's like when you walk into a party and you haven't had a beer and they're yeah. 10 beers in. You, it's just, you don't, you can't, you can't just you know mingle right in so i don't know what it is about humans well i mean I, that's a good point in general there's a lot of humans are really kind of shitty to each other when we <laughs> use drugs there's a lot of judgment you know i was filming a documentary for w5 about fentanyl and Sault Ste. marie two years ago and this um social worker had this great i guess metaphor example <laughs> where and i don't know if this actually happened it, it sounds like it may have but there was someone who was ODing on fentanyl and there was someone at the other end of town who was who had a heart attack and there's only one ambulance and there's a hypothetical question who does the ambulance choose to save um most people would assume the heart attack victim but when you dive deeper into it and you realize that the fentanyl person had some really bad life circumstances um they did it accidentally they didn't know they were doing fentanyl and then you look at the person who actually had the heart attack and realized that he smoked a pack of cigarettes a day and ate two big macs a day um like who really <laughs> when you when it comes down to had a worse lifestyle and, and i kind of found that to be a really interesting comparison mm. Tell me a little bit about your media tour with the with the movie. How's that been going for you, and what have you 
experienced in, in that uh, realm? Because I, I see, well, you're on the globe. You're everywhere lately. Well, I, I guess you should yeah. be to promote the movie, and it's just it's just come out. So good on you. But what what have you? What has your experience been uh, dealing with the media in Canada and elsewhere? It's been really positive. You know, there's there's a lot of haters out there. When you talk about decrim and legalization, people think, you know, listen. When when people have kind of growing up with drug war mentality and, and kind of feel mm. like all drugs are bad, then yeah, it's, it's hard to change their opinions. You, you try to do your best. I mean, I love the, the response I'm getting from the medical community and, and doctors and, and social workers and psychology students. I was asked to speak um, next week, actually at U of T to a bunch of psychology students, which is great. Wow, um, cool. So, so yeah, I think um, from, that perspective from kind of the medical community, harm reductionist doctors, they really appreciate it because they they're kind of on the front lines and they understand that like evidence based approaches to addiction are really needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did a Reddit talk the other day. I was saying before we got on. Well, that must on, have been scary. Man. Yeah, and it was just like there's a lot of hatred. And it's like, in, and I'm really you know, you, you, yeah, you're trying to make an argument. Like, listen, this is how what I believe in terms of decriminalization. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should begin to understand that in the future, legalizing other drugs could be a good idea. And it was it was a lot of like you know dickish people just kind of it, like I I couldn't there wasn't anything I could say. Um, and maybe this is me not being intelligent enough, but I, I had trouble in any way, shape, or form convincing them that, you know, this may be a good idea. Um, and, I, and I kind of felt like wherever I went, whatever argument I would put forth, people really felt that, you know, drug users use drugs, they destroy their own lives, basically, they, they've made their decision, like, that's not my problem. Um, and I think that's kind of a shitty attitude, because we all live with problems, whether it's alcohol, whether it's, you know, video game addiction, driving fast, like, you know, I, I just kind of feel like to isolate one community for the substances they put on their body is kind of ridiculous. Mm, amen. I uh, agree with you there. So what you're saying is there's actually people on your AMAs, and, and Reddit's a scary place to, I don't go out on Reddit, but I, I heard that that's where you know, it all starts type of thing, unless you're on 4chan. But you're, you're telling me there's actually people that are passionately against legalization of drugs because they think, what, it's going to make the problem worse? Yeah, absolutely. I think wow. So. I th- but, I mean, and that's kind of the reason I made Rat Park, because you really have to get into the history of the drug war, the history of harm reduction, understand drug policy, understand a lot of information to make a really informed decision. The history of Alcoholics Anonymous, how many people, you know, are actually problem users compared to not problem users. Like, you know, it's like anything. It's one, it's, it's an idea. It's a con, like you can talk about addiction and people have their surface comments about it and, and their like judgments, but to really, to really understand it, you really have to dive deep and, and do a lot of research in, into all these topics. And, and, and I feel like it's not just, you know, as simple as saying, hey, that's not my problem. I don't want it in my backyard. Like, mm. forget it. There's there's so much to learn about it. So I would just encourage people to, like, you know, research, you know, what harm reduction actually means and look at the statistics and look at the data when it comes to evidence-based treatment and look at what happens in society when, like, you know, people have access to safe needles and methadone. Like, HIV goes down. Mm. It's absolutely proven. It happens all over the place. So, um yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a matter of like really spending the time and energy and, and doing a ton of research and understanding mm. all the you know political and 
psychological and, and, you know, addition issues surrounded to the topic. And, and I feel like if people, more people did that, they have more compassion towards drug users and understand that this is a super complex topic. Um, the problem is it just crosses so many lines between, you know, drug policy, um, personal use, um, psychology, it's just all these different, you know, <laughs> types of science and, and, and sociology that you have to really understand to understand what's going on. What's your intention for what people come away from after seeing the film? 